Clinton. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. We're sitting here with Alyssa Fuchs, Jackie Cohen, and Stanley on the ones and twos. Who did not wake up like that? Yeah, he, he didn't. You didn't. Are you even awake? You're right. I did not wake up fully dressed and with my hair brushed <laughs> and my, my teeth brushed. You're right. I did not do that. Sometimes I wake up like that. She, what and she means by that is high on Molly. You need that. <laughs> you, you need the head the head massage again. Yeah. But we got to tell Selena about that. Yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get that joke. It got oh. intimate. Oh god. Sure. Oh wow. I missed it. I missed Inside that. Of me. Marilyn, watch out. Oh no. Stanley's <laughs> yeah. girlfriend. Keep on the lookout. So, guys, we are moving the show along. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're going to start off talking about the attack in Kenya because apparently Stanley isn't the only one terrorizing Christians. So, (laughs) earlier this month, we had... um, Pretty good. Al Shabab. Um, Al Shabab, we had this um, terrorist organization who went to a college, university in Kenya, sorted out between the Muslim students and the Christian students, shot 147 Christian students, altogether 148 people died in this attack. And you know what? It it got a lot of attention. We saw some memes on Instagram and Facebook, but I want to point out it was nothing like the coverage we saw at when Charlie Hebdo. um, Right. Um, so nobody cares about Africa. Right, right. Like, like no one cares about Wait, Africa. Can I ask a question? Were there any white people shot? Um, I'm not sure, but I will say no. We will well, ask our guests. Everyone but knows I'm pretty white sure is news no. and black is hip-hop. <laughs> they probably thought it was a rap concert. <laughs> Stop. St- oh, God. That was horrible. So, um, now, let me ask you. Did they kill Muslims also? Some, they did. Some that couldn't answer. They, right. they were asked questions, right. and if you couldn't answer, you were shot. Or killed on the spot. Yo, that that's exactly what happened. It was horrifying. It was c- completely terrorizing. And there's a number of factors that go into this. Now, Al- we've spoke about ISIS on the show, Boko Haram. Um, we spoke about Al- um, Al-Qaeda all the time, the Taliban. The Taliban? The Taliban. The Taliban. Taliban, bam. Dipset. <laughs> That's what threw me off. He's a junior. So we've talked about all these terror groups, but I will say, you know, from my recollection, we haven't really spoke about Al Shabab and what's going on in Kenya and in East Africa too much on the show. Let your voice be heard. So we have a very special guest on the line with us, who I would like to introduce. His name is Joshua. We'll give you his full. Oh, actually, can we, do we have Joshua on the line? Yes, we do. Okay, perfect. Joshua, please introduce yourself um, as well as your title to our listeners. Sure. So I'm Joshua Mazervi. I'm the assistant director of the Atlantic Council's Africa Center. Thank you so much for joining us here. Um, I'll let your voice be heard. So I, I wanted to start the show talking about what's been going on. From my understanding, since 2012, Al-Shabaab has killed over 600 people in Kenya. Um, obviously, we're just hearing more about it of recent, of late, because of the attack that happened on April 2nd um, in Kenya. So can you start off by giving us some more background and context behind what happened and Al-Shabaab itself as a terrorist group? Sure. Um, well, a- as you say, they, they've been attacking Kenya routinely for a number of years now, but really their you know their their violence and um, their movement started back in 2006 uh, they were part of a large organization called Islamic Courts Union which operated inside of Somalia this group uh, known as the ICU uh, had had um, taken over Mogadishu which is the capital they had imposed a certain measure of control um, they brought a certain level of peace to a country that uh, very famously has been 
a failed state for many years, since, since 1991, really. And uh, they, this ICU group managed to control most of southern Somalia. Oh. Now, um, yeah, so, so Ethiopia invaded and in, uh, invaded the country to topple this ICU um, this movement in 2006. And when they did that, the ICU toppled, but al-Shabaab, which was part of this, al- of this ICU movement, um, became empowered, essentially, and, and they, um, they regrouped after having been scattered and very effectively fought back against Ethiopia and became uh, very quickly um, took over southern Somalia, um, most of Mogadishu, uh, many of the major cities, eventually drove Ethiopia out of the country and, um, you know, were this, uh, you know, control, as I say, controlled and governed most of the country. Joshua, thank you so much for giving that background, giving us more information about the origins of al-Shabaab. Can you clarify for me, is there some type of internal conflict when it comes to these terrorist groups in the districts? Um, I've been reading up on it, but I'm not exactly sure, like, how they may or may not be affiliated with al-Qaeda and the other the other groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. It's um, I mean, this group has struggled with ideological uh, differences among their leadership really since their inception. Uh, So normally we break it down, and this is a bit simplified, but in general this works, between uh, the leadership who are interested in sort of waging international jihad, so they're interested in in, uh, allying with al-Qaeda, they're interested in establishing this Islamic global caliphate, and then those who are more interested in the struggle just within Somalia. So they, you know, they too subscribed to radical Islam, but they were more interested in extending their control within Somalia and in a few parts of neighboring countries like Ethiopia and Kenya and Djibouti. Um, so that that's sort of the, the general breakdown uh, or the general schism within this group. Now, that was, that debate ended um, uh, when the emir, uh, his name was Ahmed Abdi Gadane, he was the leader of this group, uh, he actually purged a lot of people who disagreed with him um, several years ago. So that debate sort of ended, and Gadane is very much interested in, was interested in international jihad, uh, so he was um, very much in the uh, al-Qaeda philosophy. Um, mm. And in fact, al-Shabaab, officially affiliated with al-Qaeda. Uh, they, they, offer, they pledged loyalty and allegiance to al-Qaeda, and al-Qaeda accepted that. So al-Shabaab is an official um, affiliate of, of al-Qaeda. If you're just tuning in, we have on the line with us Joshua Mercivi. He is the assistant director of the Atlantic Council's Africa Center. And if you want to call in, the number is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. Um, Joshua, talk about why did they specifically target the Christian students? I understand that there's tension um, among the locals, but religious tension among Muslims who <laughs> happen to be the minority in this region. Why did they specifically go to this college and target the Christian students what was their point that they were trying to prove yeah so um you're right they had a very specific reason for doing this uh you referenced the tensions within kenya between the muslim and christian populations uh so one of the reasons they did this of course was to exacerbate those tensions um they want 
to so they believe that there is a civilizational struggle between Muslims and Christians. They believe that um, Christians are engaged in a crusade against Muslims, and so it's, it's all Muslims' duty everywhere to, to rise up and, and fight back against this crusade. So, you know, they, they, they try to perpetuate that narrative by doing these sorts of things, by, by going into Kenya, by singling out uh, Christian students, executing them, and allowing Muslims um, to go free. Now, uh, you know, I, I do want to emphasize, though, that the vast majority of al-Shabaab's victims have been Muslims. So this, this whole thing of, you know, we spare Muslims, that's just a, that's a vile gimmick. That's a lie. Um, inside of Somalia, they've killed hundreds and hundreds of Muslims. They killed many Muslims inside of Kenya. So, you know, it's, it's, it's propaganda, in a sense, um, because they're, you know, they're, they're trying to garner support from the Muslim community as well. Right. And they've, I think they've learned their lesson a bit because they, they were so brutal and they are so brutal and bloody inside of Somalia that it really cost them a lot of support among the population. So some people who used to support them no longer do because they've seen, um, as I said, how bloody and brutal this group is against fellow Somalis, against fellow Muslims. Right. So. You know, their, their rhetoric that we're protecting Somali Muslims from these crusaders, from these outsiders, that wears really thin when uh, it's, it's obvious to everybody that they're mostly killing Muslims. Um, but yes, they, they absolutely are targeting Christians, um, you know, and it's, it's for those, those several reasons that I laid out. Um, if you want to take part in the conversation or um, ask questions to our guests, you can call in at 212-650-6903. Um, and something I heard a lot about, um, which I thought was interesting, you know, a lot of people were curious, why attack uh, schools? And this is, certainly isn't the first instance where a school and students have been attacked. Um, and, you know, I've read a lot about how, you know, by attacking students, this brings a lot of international attention um, to the uh -huh. issue and, you know, to to what they're, you know, fighting for or against. Um, but do you think that this is something, I mean, I know a lot of the students were complaining that there was inadequate safety set up for something like this and that they knew about the attacks or that there was, you know, the threat of attack um, was something that students knew could possibly take place. Is this something that um, more universities are going to have to consider um, when protecting their students? you know, whether throughout Africa or mm -hmm. in general? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of reasons to attack a university um, when you you think in a depraved manner like al-Shabaab does. Um, so you're absolutely right. There were warnings um, there was a, that there was some sort of attack. Um, they didn't, I'm not sure if they had warnings that it would, would specifically be Garissa University College, but uh, there were general warnings that al-Shabaab was planning some sort of major attack. Um, and other universities inside of Kenya actually uh, had uh, taken precautionary measures. There were a few extra guards were posted to Garissa University, but, you know, they obviously were no match for uh, these trained gunmen who surprised them and ambushed them, essentially. So, um, there were those warnings. Um, the the reason the university, particularly, was such an attractive target to Al Shabab, was one for one, it 
um, goes back to what we were just talking about, uh, Christians, the Christian-Muslim divide. Uh, this was probably the greatest concentration of Christians in that area. Uh, Greece University is affiliated with Moy University, um, and so a lot of people, um, Christians, uh, non-ethnic Somalis um, from outside of the Greece area, attend school at Greece. The surrounding area is overwhelmingly um, ethnic Somalis, so they're they're Kenyan Somalis and they're Muslims. So if you're Al Shabaab and you're attacking that area. The best place to find a bunch of Christians is at Greece University College. So that was one reason. The other is a, it was a soft target. Um, we, were, we were just discussing the, the security was absolutely inadequate. Um, there was a few guards, unclear how many, but maybe four, maybe five. But again, just absolutely no match for trained gunmen. Um, and as, as you referenced in your question, you know, th- this gets a lot of attention when you when you kill students, when you kill children. Um, it gains a lot of attention, and you know this this group is is craving attention. They're they're seeking publicity. A um, couple reasons for that. One is, you know, their their fortunes have declined inside of Somalia. So there's a multinational force that is pushing them back inside of Somalia. So they've lost a lot of their their strongholds, a lot of their revenue base has been has been degraded. So they're sort of facing tough times right now. They're absolutely not defeated. Um, they're clearly very, very dangerous, but they don't control as much territory as they used to. They've lost a number of high-level leaders, including their emir, Ahmed Gadani, who I referenced earlier. He was killed last year in a, a U.S. drone strike. Um, so they're, they're sort of facing um, tough times in a sense. Um, and they're all, and they're also competing with with groups like ISIS and Boko Haram, who are are gaining all the international attention. Um, you know, and they're they're attracting ISIS particularly is attracting a lot of foreign fighters, uh, people who used to um, be attracted to the likes of Al Shabaab are now you know, much more interested in joining ISIS. Right. So, so is this like a, like almost like a competition, not to make light of this, but it's like almost like a, a fraternity or sorority thing where they're like, we're the best, no, we're the first, we started this. I was just thinking about this. It's very, a lot very of ego. E- yeah, a lot of ego. It's very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of publicity, um, are, do they are they getting adequate publicity? Because you know, again, when when France when uh, Charlie Hebdo was attacked, we heard this all across the globe. But Kenya is sort of you know not, a little under the radar, and it's only been what a week or two since it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I mean, to your first point, yeah, it is. A, you can think of it as a competition. Absolutely, like they're competing um, with these other groups, and because you know they're they're chasing funding and um, fighters like foreign recruits, just like these other groups are. So, And there's a finite pool of, of money and, and recruits. So they have to be the bigger, badder, bloodier group in order to attract attention and funds and, and recruits. Um, so as far as, as your question about publicity, you know, I, I work on Africa, so I always think uh, Africa needs more publicity. Um, you know, I'm not... I'm not um, an objective uh, voice on that, probably. But with, I think with these attacks, part of the problem is that these, unfortunately, um, attacks inside of Kenya and inside of Somalia by this group are pretty common. Um, you know, since 
so Kenya invaded Somalia in 2011, and they were chasing al-Shabaab, which is why they invaded. Since then, there's been over 100 terror attacks inside of Kenya. Um, wow. There was a, a horrific one that got international attention on the Westgate Mall in Nairobi. That was September 2013. Right. Um, you know, there was a terrible one uh, more recently, June 2014, where they, the group actually took over a town, um, a coastal town inside of Kenya, and just systematically executed all of the non-Muslims. We saw the same thing where they, you know, they, they administered religious tests. Um, and if you were able to answer a few of the trivia questions they posed to you, they let you go. If you weren't, they shot you. Um, so I think, I think because they're so common, um, that reduces the appetite of the media to cover, um, cover it. You know, they're, they're interested in the really, um, you know, uncommon, uh, sensationalist, uh, stories. And, you know, you look at Charlie Hebdo and Paris, you know, attacks inside of Paris are very uncommon. Like, they're very rare. Right. And there's also- That's true. So That is true. Joshua, you know, I'm going to ask you a really important question about security and stability when we come back from the break. Uh, but if you're listening, keep tuning in. We're going to be continuing our conversation uh, with Joshua when we come back. And later on, we're going to get to our great dreamer and doers. Uh, you're listening to Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio on WHCR. On yeah, that so note, we that are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio. We are speaking to Joshua Mercivi, and uh, my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I'm here with Jackie Cohn, Selena Hill, Stanley Fritz. Call me um, Dragon. Call him Dragon. So, Joshua, um, you know, you mentioned Somalia earlier, and I know that Somalia sort of has an unstable government, if you could even call it that. Um, but from what I also understand, Kenya sort of has a somewhat stable government, even a government that we sort of have a relationship with uh, here in the U.S., or the U.S. government has a relationship with theirs. Because Kenya. So, I mean, oh, you mentioned. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> you mentioned the Westgate Mall shooting, and you mentioned, obviously, we're talking today about the attack at the school. Why is it that the government. Now, I realize I should step that back. The government can't always prevent every terrorist attack. We know that here in the United States. But why is it that the. Kenya government or their intelligence community hasn't been able to foil these attacks? Is it that they don't have the, uh, I guess, the resources to be able to do it? Are they are they looking the other way? Do they not care? I mean, what's the reason why there hasn't been any action by the Kenyan government? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, a lot of Kenyans are asking that, that very same question. Um, I, I think there's a couple reasons. Um, one you know, when they, they are neighbor to Somalia, of course, and that border between Kenya and Somalia is very porous. They, it's, it's just uncontrolled, essentially. They have a few, uh, of course, there are border checkpoints here and there, but um, it, very easy to, to evade those and, and flip back and forth across the border. So that, that's, that's part of the problem. Um, another part of the problem is, you know, we, we spoke earlier about this, um, this Muslim-Christian tension inside of Kenya, so you, you have a, a, a significant Muslim population inside of Kenya that feels marginalized, that um, is in many ways angry at the central government because they feel like they, they've been neglected and mistreated. And um, and in many ways that's that's true. If you look at you know where Muslims are concentrated in Kenya, specifically along the coast, uh, the the rates of development and literacy and and, and all these other indicators are much lower. Um, on the coast than it is inland um, where non-Muslims live. So because of that, you know, al-Shabaab has some support within Kenya. 
Um, in fact, they're um, outside of Somalis who, who live inside of Somalia. Their greatest pool of recruits come from Kenya, so they recruit a lot of Kenyans. Mm. Um, and it's you know, and that's fueled by this, as I mentioned, this, this feeling of marginalization and, and neglect from right. uh, from the central government. So, uh, and then you know, you have to look at corruption as well. Kenya is just notoriously corrupt. I lived there for several years, and it's everywhere. The corruption affects all levels of, of society, all levels of government. And some of these security failures they've had are a result of the security forces being not getting enough, you know, the funds they were supposed to get because someone stole it, or the security services themselves being corrupt. And, you know, for a bribe, they'll let someone in, you know, they'll, they'll let a terrorist in. There are, right. there are documented you know, um, documented cases of, of uh, security service personnel being right. by al-Shabaab terrorists. So. Um, just um, for listening purposes, we also have on the line with us Jason Eligio. Who's on the line? Stanley? Hey, hey, guys. Okay, right. right. And that is uh, Let Your Voice Be Heard's very own foreign policy correspondent. Even though I'm coming for that title, Jason. Jason I told I, you that. I understand <laughs> that. Yeah, definitely. You're coming to take the title. Jason, I, I have a quick question. How is Illuminati camp? Illuminati camp is good, but I'm also in daddy camp right now. So I, I, I've been in uh, the daddy abyss for the last three weeks. So <laughs> that's that's ultimate so taking up my time. You better watch what you say because wife is going to get at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Jason, I'm pretty sure you've been listening to the conversation. We also have Joshua Messervy on the line with us. But I wanted to, to chime in and get your take on this. And specifically, I wanted to talk about Al-Shabaab, its meaning itself. Um, earlier in this week, you said that it means... The youth. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and what is that? Right, go ahead. Is the Arabic word for youth or, you know, the young people. Um, and it actually speaks to the core uh, mission and uh, impetus for al-Shabaab. I mean, I'm sure Joshua has already touched on this to a certain degree, but the origins of the group is out of uh, southern Somalia. And if we remember back in the mid to early 1990s, the fracturing of the Somali state, uh, the constant fighting between the warlords, if anyone's seen that movie, Black Hawk Down, that was a glimpse into the sort of, you know, just fractious and, and extremely fratricidal state that Somalia was in. So what you have coming out of that era, or sort of a residual out of that era, is, you know, a multiplicity of young, um, unguided, unsheltered uh, people, primarily of Islamic faith. And al-Shabaab has really, you know, creeped up and arisen in the last 10 years because you have this this group, this nascent un guided group, um, which has found in the radical Islamic creed um, some purpose, some guidance, you know, as well as actual funding. Um, so thank you so much for that, Jason. I wanted to throw this question um, at both you guys on the line. Can you talk about how Kenya's economy, the border security between Kenya and Somalia, which we definitely touched upon, and um, police corruption, which we haven't really gotten into. How is this all coming into play in building Al-Shabaab? We'll start with you, Jason, and then we'll go to Joshua. Well, my experience in that part of the world, I, I really can't speak to the police corruption because I honestly didn't interact with uh, law enforcement authorities. When I did operate in uh, Africa several years ago, it was primarily advising on uh, prospective oil pipelines and petroleum projects. Um, one thing I can say is that Joshua did touch on the corruption is everywhere. And 
you when you operate in that circle, it's not even seen as corruption. It's almost as though this is a normal part of practice, and you have to advise your foreign counterparts, well, you know, I'm governed by the U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. I can't do this, or I can't do that. And I think that that probably reflects in all areas of the society, especially law enforcement, especially with the way the border is, is extremely porous, as Joshua spoke about. Joshua, can you add to that, please? Yeah. Um, I mean, Jason's absolutely correct. It's, it's everywhere. It's a fact of life, and it's seen as normal inside of Kenya. Uh, there's a phrase in Swahili. It's called Kito Kidogo. Um, it just means small thing, essentially, and it's, it's what police officers ask you for, a small thing. It might be the price of Coke. It might be the uh, price of a beer, whatever it is, um, and that's just such a normal part of any interaction with them. Um, and, of course, you know, it's a minor annoyance if they're just asking to buy them a Coke, um, which I never recommend anyone do because you're just fueling that system. But, um, but when you're talking about these issues of terrorism and security, it's a much larger problem, of course, because it, it does um, have real effects and it, it costs lives. Um, you know, the, the story I always tell is that they actually they caught several al-Shabaab terrorists in uh, the port city of Mombasa, and they had a vehicle stuffed with explosives and weapons. And um, these terrorists had traveled all the way um, down the coast, uh, essentially um, uh, the coast of Kenya, escorted by police officers who they had bribed to take them to um, to Mombasa. So thank goodness they were eventually, you know, they were caught. But um, that was no thanks to these corrupt police officers who, um, you know, could have facilitated a, a horrific terrorist attack just because they were they were paid off. So, yeah, Kenya has to get their corruption under control. It, it has um, very serious security uh, ramifications as well as economic and and just uh, and political and governance and, and everything else. It's, it's, a, it's a big problem. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, one of the things you mentioned was a porous border, and obvi- that's mm-hmm. going to go into my next question. Um, but I guess my question is bigger than that. How are the, I mean, the arms are are obviously getting into the country because of poor security and a porous border. But my my question for you is bigger than that, which is who is actually funding these groups and who is actually arming the groups? Who's sending them? Is there a larger terrorist organization that is sending al-Shabaab money and arms or how are they getting these, this money and these weapons? We'll start with you, Joshua. Okay. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, Somalia has been awash in weapons for, for decades now. Um, again, Jason referenced, you know, this, this era of warlords. So the, when the, the Somali government fell in 1991, uh, the, the country descended into anarchy, and you just had these, these um, private armies competing for control. So there, there's been weapons inside of Somalia for many, many years. Uh, as far as funding, al-Shabaab um, gets their funding from a couple different sources, but their, their main one is taxation. So they, they tax uh, the people under their control. Um, they, it's a very comprehensive system. They'll tax just about everything. Um, and it, it's really extortion. It's protection money is, is what it really is, but um, they call it taxation. Um, and they also, they're heavily involved in, in this charcoal trade. So Somalia exports a lot of charcoal. It's, it's under U.N. sanctions right now because, because um, the international community knows that al-Shabaab receives money from this trade, but it still continues on facilitated by the Kenyan Defense Forces, actually speaking, since going back to our corruption theme. Um, so they, they get money from the char- by selling charcoal. Um, they also smuggle sugar into Kenya um, and get money that way, and they, they extort money from people under their control. 
Jason, did you have something to add to yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to jump off the line, guys. i got uh, another group of people pulling on me for something. But um, I did want to just comment on that very quickly. Um, definitely, Joshua and I seem to be eye-to-eye on a lot of these different issues. Um, Somalia and that entire area is its extremely available. I mean, rifles, AK-47s are like um, water there. You know, you, you can just find it everywhere. And uh, that in combination with the amount of funding as well as arms that's coming out of the more radicalized um, Islamic uh, groups and regimes, uh, that, that also leads to the uh, availability of weapons and money to that type of group. Thanks so much. Jackie, Jackie? did you want to add on? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of asked this earlier, but Jason brought up a really interesting point. So Al-Shabaab, you know, trans- it translates to the youth, and he talked about how, they're, it, you know, it's really led by, I mean, them, but presumably now, this sort of misguided, um, you know, militant youth population, right? And so they're attacking sort of the opposite, this young group of people that are enrolled in school, that are educated, that are, you know, of different beliefs and different faiths. Um, And so is that in itself, you know, the fact that they are um, a group of young people studying and sort of taking a path, regardless of religion, is that, you know, does it make students then a target um, throughout this region because of that? Um. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's a cliche, but it's true. Like, students are the future, um, and certainly students um, inside of Kenya who are being educated at the university level, many of them would, would go on and be an important part of, uh, of you know, helping to further develop Kenya and, um, you know, hopefully take that country to um, bigger and better things. So... Yeah, I think you you can make that argument that by attacking students specifically, um, you know you're in it's it's almost a um, a double whammy for Kenya because you're you're losing um, people who would have been a part of of empowering that country and and building it up. So yeah, I, I think it's it's a, an insightful point. Thank you. Um, Joshua, unfortunately, we do have to wrap up the conversation. But before we let you go, I wanted to ask, what is the significance um, of what happened, this massacre in Kenya? How does this affect us here in America? Why should we care? And is there a possibility that America will get involved militarily in any way? I mean, we've drawn them a bunch of times already, haven't we? <sighs> yeah, Joshua? we have. Joshua? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, we're, we are already militarily involved in, um, over there. Um, yeah, we, we've used drones a number of times to take out some of their top leadership. And uh, we have uh, an, uh, an unknown number of advisors um, on the ground uh, helping the Somali National Army and um, the other armies inside of Somalia that are fighting, um, fighting al-Shabaab. So, you know, I think we should care because... Um, Kenya is one of our strongest allies in that region, in in East Africa, and East Africa is an important part of the world. Uh, geostrategically, you could you look at um, you know a lot of the oil from the Middle East comes down um, and, and has to move, uh, has to be transported near the near Somalia. Um, you know, it sort of squeezes in between Yemen and Somalia there. Um, so it's it's an important part of the world. It's one of our, our staunchest allies in that region, um, and even just beyond that, this you know Al Shabaab is very much part of of this 
um, global network of terrorists who are determined to uh, destroy our way of life. Um, that's not that's not overstating the case. Like they'll they say that themselves. Um, you know that um, they'll they'll happily proclaim that and do. And so we have to, you know, we should care because um, they care a lot about us, uh, not in a good way, but, um, you know, they have a lot of malign intentions for us. So, and, and you know, there's, and just the human tragedy of it, like people are suffering terribly under this group. Uh, they're killing a lot of innocent people. So as, um, you know, engaged global citizens, we should care that, um, you know, innocent people are being massacred by a group that is really vicious and has um, uh, an ideology that would take us back to the Stone Ages. Right. Thank you again so much for calling in, Joshua. Please tell our listeners how they can follow you, your organization, and stay uh, stay informed about what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, well, first, thank you. I like Thank you so much for having this conversation. It's important, and, and, and thank you for the good work you guys are doing over there and, and trying to bring these issues um, to light, especially among the younger population, which is, which is critical. Uh, so I can be followed on Twitter um, at, uh, at jmeservey, J-M-E-S-E-R-V-E-Y, and my organization is um, at AC Africa Center. Twitter as well, and you can you can find us online, of course. Thank you again so much, Joshua. And I just wanted to end by saying this: so, um, some seventy percent of the working class youth are currently unemployed in Kenya. I know that we touched upon how El Shabaab, why people are joining the ranks, why are they seeking and looking to this terrorist organization for some type of relief. And we talk about it time and time again on the show. The underlying issue here is definitely poverty, lack of education. And when you have this, this is how um, El Shabaab comes about. This is how we have these terrorist groups. And I think that if we took a, a global stance to address these issues, then we could alleviate some of these... And prevent some of these attacks from happening. I mean, it all goes back. It's it's pretty central, and we discuss it again, like you said, all the time. Yeah, we do, and I totally agree with that. Uh, poverty, education, these are the big picture issues that impact why people decide to join a terrorist group. It is, and also, or why people decide to join a gang. Yep, so, same thing. It's very similar. Very very similar. So on that note. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we have two very special dreamers and doers 